story twelve of strictly business more stories of the four million by o henry this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by warren cotty gurney illinois story twelve a ramble in aphasia my wife and i parted on that morning in precisely our usual manner she left her second cup of tea to follow me to the door there she plucked from my lapel the invisible strand of lint the universal act of woman to proclaim ownership and bade me to take care of my cold i had no cold next came her kiss of parting the level kiss of domesticity flavored with young hyson there was no fear of the extemporaneous of variety spicing her infinite custom with the deft touch of long malpractice she dabbed ari my well-set scarf-pin and then as i closed the door i heard her morning slippers pattering back to her cooling tea when i set out i had no thought or premonition of what was to occur the attack came suddenly for many weeks i had been toiling almost night and day at a famous railroad law case that i had won triumphantly but a few days previously in fact i had been digging away at the law almost without cessation for many years once or twice good dr volney my friend and physician had warned me if you don't slacken up belford he said you'll go suddenly to pieces either your nerves or your brain will give way tell me does a week pass in which you do not read in the papers of a case of aphasia of some man lost wandering nameless with his past and his identity blotted out and all from that little brain clot made by overwork or worry i always thought said i that the clot in those instances was really to be found on the brains of the newspaper reporters dr volney shook his head the disease exists he said you need a change or a rest courtroom office and home there is the only route you travel for recreation you read law books better take warning in time on thursday nights i said defensively my wife and i play cribbage on sundays she reads to me the weekly letter from her mother that law books are not a recreation remains to be established that morning as i walked i was thinking of dr volney's words i was feeling as well as i usually did possibly in better spirits than usual i woke with stiff and cramped muscles from having slept long on the incommodious seat of a day coach i leaned my head against the seat and tried to think after a long time i said to myself i must have a name of some sort i searched my pockets not a card not a letter not a paper or monogram could i find but i found in my coat pocket nearly three thousand dollars in bills of large denomination i must be someone of course i repeated to myself and began again to consider the car was well crowded with men among whom i told myself 
there must have been some common interest for they intermingled freely and seemed in the best good humour and spirits one of them a stout spectacled gentleman enveloped in a decided odour of cinnamon and aloes took the vacant half of my seat with a friendly nod and unfolded a newspaper in the intervals between his periods of reading we conversed as travellers will on current affairs i found myself able to sustain the conversation on such subjects with credit at least to my memory by and by my companion said you are one of us of course fine lot of men the west sends in this time i'm glad they held the convention in new york i've never been east before my name's r p boulder boulder and son of hickory grove missouri though unprepared i rose to the emergency as men will when put to it now must i hold a christening and be at once babe parson and parent my senses came to the rescue of my slower brain the insistent odor of drugs from my companion supplied one idea a glance at his newspaper where my eye met a conspicuous advertisement assisted me further my name said i glibly is edward pinkhammer i am a druggist and my home is in cornopolis kansas i knew you were a druggist said my fellow-traveller affably i saw the callous spot on your right forefinger where the handle of the pestle rubs of course you are a delegate to our national convention are all these men druggists i asked wonderingly they are this car came through from the west and there are your old-time druggists too none of your patent tablet and granule pharmaceutists that use slot machines instead of a prescription desk we percolate our own paragoric and roll our own pills and we ain't above handling a few garden seeds in the spring and carrying a side line of confectionery and shoes i tell you hampinker i've got an idea to spring on this convention new ideas is what they want now you know the shelf bottles of tartar emetic and rochelle salt aunt at pot tart and sod at pot tart one's poison you know and the other's harmless it's easy to mistake one label for the other where do druggists mostly keep em why as far apart as possible on different shelves that's wrong i say keep em side by side so when you want one you can always compare it with the other and avoid mistakes do you catch the idea it seems to me a very good one i said all right when i spring it on the convention you back it up we'll make some of these eastern orange phosphate and massage cream professors that think they're the only lozenges in the market look like hypodermic tablets if i can be of any aid i said warming the two bottles of er tartrate of antimony and potash and tartrate of soda and potash shall henceforth sit side by side i concluded firmly now there's another thing said mr boulder for an excipient in manipulating a pill mass which do you prefer the magnesia carbonate or the pulverized glycerizoratix the er uh, magnesia i said it was easier to say than the other word 
mr boulder glanced at me distrustfully through his spectacles give me the glycerisa said he magnesia cakes here's another one of these fake aphasia cases he said presently handing me his newspaper and laying his finger upon an article i don't believe in em i put nine out of ten of em down as frauds a man gets sick of his business and his folks and wants to have a good time he skips out somewhere and when they find him he pretends to have lost his memory don't know his own name and won't even recognize the strawberry mark on his wife's left shoulder aphasia tut why can't they stay at home and forget i took the paper and read after the pungent headlines the following denver june twelve elwin c belford a prominent lawyer is mysteriously missing from his home since three days ago and all efforts to locate him have been in vain mr belford is a well-known citizen of the highest standing and has enjoyed a large and lucrative law practice he is married and owns a fine home and the most extensive private library in the state on the day of his disappearance he drew quite a large sum of money from his bank no one can be found who saw him after he left the bank mr belford was a man of singularly quiet and domestic tastes and seemed to find his happiness in his home and profession if any clue at all exists to his strange disappearance it may be found in the fact that for some months he has been deeply absorbed in an important law case in connection with the q y and z railroad company it is feared that overwork may have affected his mind every effort is being made to discover the whereabouts of the missing man it seems to me you are not altogether uncynical mr boulder i said after i had read the despatch this has the sound to me of a genuine case why should this man prosperous happily married and respected choose suddenly to abandon everything i know that these lapses of memory do occur and that men do find themselves adrift without a name a history or a home oh gammon and jalap said mr boulder it's larks thereafter there's too much education nowadays men know about aphasia and they use it for an excuse the women are wise too when it's all over they look you in the eye as scientific as you please and say he hypnotized me thus mr boulder diverted but did not aid me with his comments and philosophy we arrived in new york about ten at night i rode in a cab to a hotel and i wrote my name edward pinkhammer in the register as i did so i felt pervade me a splendid wild intoxicating buoyancy a sense of unlimited freedom of newly attained possibilities i was just born into the world the old fetters whatever they had been were stricken from my hands and feet the future lay before me a clear road such as an infant enters and i could set out upon it equipped with a man's learning and experience i thought the hotel clerk looked at me five seconds too long i had no baggage the druggist convention i said 
my trunk has somehow failed to arrive i drew out a roll of money ha ah, said he showing an auriferous tooth we have quite a number of the western delegates stopping here he struck a bell for the boy i endeavored to give color to my roll there is an important movement on foot among us westerners i said in regard to a recommendation to the convention that the bottles containing the tartrate of antimony and potash and the tartrate of sodium and potash be kept in a contiguous position on the shelf gentlemen the three fourteen said the clerk hastily i was whisked away to my room the next day i bought a trunk and clothing and began to live the life of edward pinkhammer i did not tax my brain with endeavors to solve problems of the past it was a piquant and sparkling cup that this great island city held up to my lips i drank of it gratefully the keys of manhattan belonged to him who was able to bear them you must be either the city's guest or its victim the following few days were as gold and silver edward pinkhammer yet counting back to his birth by hours only knew the rare joy of having come upon so diverting a world full-fledged and unrestrained i sat entranced on the magic carpets provided in theatres and roof gardens that transported one into strange and delightful lands full of frolicsome music pretty girls and grotesque drawly extravagant parodies upon humankind i went here and there at my own dear will bound by no limits of space time or comportment i dined in weird cabarets at weirder tableaux de hote to the sounds of hungarian music and the wild shouts of mercurial artists and sculptors or again where the night-life quivers in the electric glare like a kinetoscopic picture and the millinery of the world and its jewels and the ones whom they adorn and the men who make all three possible are met for good cheer in the spectacular effect and among all these scenes that i have mentioned i learned one thing that i never knew before and that is that the key to liberty is not in the hands of license but convention holds it comity has a toll-gate at which you must pay or you may not enter the land of freedom in all the glitter the seeming disorder the parade the abandon i saw this law unobtrusive yet like iron prevail therefore in manhattan you must obey these unwritten laws and then you will be freest of the free if you decline to be bound by them you put on shackles sometimes as my mood urged me i would seek the stately softly murmuring palm rooms redolent with high-born life and delicate restraint in which to dine again i would go down to the waterways in steamers packed with vociferous bedecked unchecked love-making clerks and shop-girls to their crude pleasures on the island shores and there was always broadway glistening opulent wily varying desirable broadway growing upon one like an opium habit one afternoon as i entered my hotel a stout man with a big nose and black moustache blocked my way in the corridor 
when i would have passed around him he greet me with offensive familiarity hello belford he cried loudly what the deuce are you doing in new york didn't know anything could drag you away from that old book den of yours is mrs b along or is this a little business run alone eh you have made a mistake sir i said coldly releasing my hand from his grasp my name is pinkhammer you will excuse me the man dropped to one side apparently astonished as i walked to the clerk's desk i heard him call to a bellboy and say something about telegraph blanks you will give me my bill i said to the clerk and have my baggage brought down in half an hour i do not care to remain where i am annoyed by confidence men i moved that afternoon to another hotel a sedate old-fashioned one on lower fifth avenue there was a restaurant a little way off broadway where one could be served almost al fresco in a tropic array of screening flora quiet and luxury and a perfect service made it an ideal place in which to take luncheon or refreshment one afternoon i was there picking my way to a table among the ferns when i felt my sleeve caught mr belford exclaimed an amazingly sweet voice i turned quickly to see a lady seated alone a lady of about thirty with exceedingly handsome eyes who looked at me as though i had been her very dear friend you were about to pass me she said accusingly don't tell me you don't know me why should we not shake hands at least once in fifteen years i shook hands with her at once i took a chair opposite her at the table i summoned with my eyebrows a hovering waiter the lady was philandering with an orange ice i ordered a creme de menthe her hair was reddish bronze you could not look at it because you could not look away from her eyes but you were conscious of it as you are conscious of sunset while you look into the profundities of a wood at twilight are you sure you know me i asked no she said smiling i was never sure of that what would you think i said a little anxiously if i were to tell you that my name is edward pinkhammer from cornopolis kansas what would i think she repeated with a merry glance why that you had not brought mrs belford to new york with you of course i do wish you had i would have liked to see marion her voice lowered slightly you haven't changed much elwyn i felt her wonderful eyes searching mine and my face more closely yes you have she amended and there was a soft exultant note in her latest tones i see it now you haven't forgotten you haven't forgotten for a year or a day or an hour i told you you never could i poked my straw anxiously in the creme de menthe i'm sure i beg your pardon i said a little uneasy at her gaze but that is just the trouble i have forgotten i've forgotten everything she flouted my denial she laughed deliciously at something she seemed to see in my face i've heard of you at times she went on you're quite a big lawyer out west denver isn't it 
or los angeles marion must be very proud of you you knew i suppose that i married six months after you did you may have seen it in the papers the flowers alone cost two thousand dollars she had mentioned fifteen years fifteen years is a long time would it be too late i asked somewhat timorously to offer you congratulations not if you dare do it she answered with such fine intrepidity that i was silent and began to crease patterns on the cloth with my thumbnail tell me one thing she said leaning toward me rather eagerly a thing i have wanted to know for many years just from a woman's curiosity of course have you ever dared since that night to touch smell or look at white roses at white roses wet with rain and dew i took a sip of creme de menthe it would be useless i suppose i said with a sigh for me to repeat that i have no recollection at all about these things my memory is completely at fault i need not say how much i regret it the lady rested her arms upon the table and again her eyes disdained my words and went travelling by their own route direct to my soul she laughed softly with a strange quality in the sound it was a laugh of happiness yes and of content and of misery i tried to look away from her you lie elwyn belford she breathed blissfully oh i know you lie i gazed dully into the ferns my name is edward pinkhammer i said i came with the delegates to the druggists national convention there is a movement on foot for arranging a new position for the bottles of tartrate of antimony and tartrate of potash in which very likely you would take little interest a shining landau stopped before the entrance the lady rose i took her hand and bowed i am deeply sorry i said to her that i cannot remember i could explain but fear you would not understand you will not concede pinkhammer and i really cannot at all conceive of the the roses and other things good-bye mr belford she said with her happy sorrowful smile as she stepped into her carriage i attended the theatre that night when i returned to my hotel a quiet man in dark clothes who seemed interested in rubbing his fingernails with a silk handkerchief appeared magically at my side mr pinkhammer he said giving the bulk of his attention to his forefinger may i request you step aside with me for a little conversation there is a room here certainly i answered he conducted me into a small private parlor a lady and a gentleman were there the lady i surmised would have been unusually good-looking had her features not been clouded by an expression of keen worry and fatigue she was of a style of figure and possessed coloring and features that were agreeable to my fancy she was in a traveling dress she fixed upon me an earnest look of extreme anxiety and pressed an unsteady hand to her bosom i think she would have started forward but the gentleman arrested her movement with an authoritative motion of his hand 
he then came himself to meet me he was a man of forty a little gray about the temples with a strong thoughtful face belford old man he said cordially i'm glad to see you again of course we know everything is all right i warned you you know that you were overdoing it now you'll go back with us and be yourself again in no time i smiled ironically i have been belforded so often i said that it has lost its edge still in the end it may grow wearisome would you be willing at all to entertain the hypothesis that my name is edward pinkhammer and that i never saw you before in my life before the man could reply a wailing cry came from the woman she sprang past his detaining arm ellen she sobbed and cast herself upon me and clung tight ellen she cried again don't break my heart i am your wife call my name once just once i could see you dead rather than this way i unwound her arms respectfully but firmly madam i said severely pardon me if i suggest that you accept a resemblance too precipitately it is a pity i went on with an amused laugh as the thought occurred to me that this belford and i could not be kept side by side upon the same shelf like tartrates of sodium and antimony for purposes of identification in order to understand the illusion i concluded airily it may be necessary for you to keep an eye on the proceedings of the druggists national convention the lady turned to her companion and grasped his arm what is it dr volney oh what is it she moaned he led her to the door go to your room for a while i heard him say i will remain and talk with him his mind no i think not only a portion of the brain yes i am sure he will recover go to your room and leave me with him the lady disappeared the man in dark clothes also went outside still manicuring himself in a thoughtful way i think he waited in the hall i would like to talk with you a while mr pinkhammer if i may said the gentleman who remained very well if you care to i replied and will excuse me if i take it comfortably i am rather tired i stretched myself upon a couch by a window and lit a cigar he drew a chair near by let us speak to the point he said soothingly your name is not pinkhammer i know that as well as you do i said coolly but a man must have a name of some sort i can assure you that i do not extravagantly admire the name of pinkhammer but when one christens one's self suddenly the fine names do not seem to suggest themselves but suppose it had been sheringhausen or scroggins i think i did very well with pinkhammer your name said the other man seriously is elwyn c belford you are one of the first lawyers in denver you are suffering from an attack of aphasia which has caused you to forget your identity the cause of it was over application to your profession and perhaps a life too bare of natural recreation and pleasures the lady who has just left the room is your wife she is what i would call a fine-looking woman i said after a judicial pause 
i particularly admire the shade of brown in her hair she is a wife to be proud of since your disappearance nearly two weeks ago she has scarcely closed her eyes we learned that you were in new york through a telegram sent by isidore newman a travelling man from denver he said that he had met you in a hotel here and that you did not recognize him i think i remember the occasion i said the fellow called me belford if i'm not mistaken but don't you think it about time now for you to introduce yourself i am robert volney dr volney i have been your close friend for twenty years and your physician for fifteen i came with mrs belford to trace you as soon as we got the telegram try elwin old man try to remember what's the use to try i asked with a little frown you say you are a physician is aphasia curable when a man loses his memory does it return slowly or suddenly sometimes gradually and imperfectly sometimes as suddenly as it went will you undertake the treatment of my case dr volney i asked old friend said he i'll do everything in my power and will have done everything that science can do to cure you very well said i then you will consider that i am your patient everything is in confidence now professional confidence of course said dr volney i got up from the couch someone had set a vase of white roses on the centre table a cluster of white roses freshly sprinkled and fragrant i threw them far out of the window and then i laid myself upon the couch again it will be best bobby i said to have this cure happen suddenly i'm rather tired of it all anyway you may go now and bring marion in but uh doc i said with a sigh as i kicked him on the shin good old doc it was glorious End of story 12 A Ramble in Aphasia